Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Question, if you were Satan, if you were the spiritual enemy of every single person on planet Earth, what would you do to hurt God's heart? I know that's kind of an awkward question to open up a sermon intro with, I get it, but just go with me. If you were hurt God's heart, if you were the spiritual enemy of every single person on planet earth, what would you do? Would you twist the truth? Would you create division? Would you, would you uh, produce fear? Maybe, maybe you would just like increase the spiritual attack and, and the demonic schemes in our world today. What would you do? Well, these are all interesting options, but the right answer is what Satan himself has been doing from the very beginning of time. And that is this. Satan has been turning the hearts of people away from the one true God to all the false gods of this world. See, the enemy knows that if he can get our heart, if he can steal our affection, then this sin, which is known as the sin of idolatry, will hurt the heart of God. It will grieve him deeply. You remember the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, commandment number one. This is why God says to us, you shall have no other gods before me. God wants your heart. The most important thing that God can have is your heart. He wants your focus. He wants your attention. He wants all of your worship and your affection. God wants your heart and your heart is the real you. Your heart is at the seat of who you truly are. Beyond all of the things that people say about you or identify you as, like what you do, how tall you are, it's your heart. It's the core of your being. That's why scripture says, above all else, guard your that's why when Jesus was asked by a lawyer in the Gospels, he said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. He didn't say, love the Lord your God with all of your mind and then all of your soul and all of your strength. And then your heart, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Well, if you have a Bible today, take them and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're gonna continue in our series, part two of our series called Hills and Valleys. And I'm so glad that you're here today. I wanna welcome all of you who are joining us online last week we had a couple visiting family from Fort Collins, Colorado. So I know we have Colorado watching, and I know we have other people in other parts of our country who are watching today. I know we have guests today, and if you're a guest, then I just want to give a special welcome to you. And also, uh, I just want to remind us, if you are at a place where there's a little bit of an uptick in COVID, if you're not feeling good, just stay home and worship with us 
online. It's a valid way to continue to press into the presence of God if you're online. And thank you so much for joining us today. Now, today in our story, we're going to see this prophet, Elijah. He's going to square up the entire nation of Israel, and he's going to call them to the one true God, to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's going to say, hey, listen, it's time to be done with these false gods. Now, here's what you need to know about false gods. If you're taking notes, write this down. False gods, false gods promise only what the true God provides. False gods promise only what the true God provides. For example, wouldn't you agree with me that one of the false gods today is the God of money? If you agree with that, say yes. Now here's the promise of money. Money promises us happiness and security. I get it. The same promise is made to me. And let's say that you have so much money. I mean, an inordinate amount of money. I'm talking, you got stacks of money all around your house. You have money in every bank here in the Fox Valley. You got safety deposit box. You got gold. You got stocks and bonds. You, I mean, you got it. Or wherever you live, you got it. And then you get a call from the doctor and says, you know what? You know what else you have? You have cancer and you have 30 days to live. How, how secure do you feel because of your money in that moment? Not very secure. Or happiness. You make a lot of money, you have a lot of money, and all of a sudden you hear that your child died. How happy you are, are you in that moment? Your money can't make you happy. It's a false promise because it's a false God, because false gods promise only what the true God provides. So, to catch you up to speed, Elijah is speaking to a very idolatrous nation, the nation of Israel. If you remember from last week, let me just give you context. He's, he's speaking to King Ahab. King Ahab was the worst of the worst kings in the northern kingdom. 19 consecutive evil kings, and what was his worst sin? It wasn't so much that they had temple prostitution, although that was horrendous. It wasn't so much that, 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 that people would actually uh, 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 sacrifice their, their children to these false gods. That was horrendous and terrible. But the worst thing was that Ahab and his wife Jezebel would turn the hearts of God's people away from the one true God to the God of Baal and Asherah. And we learned last week that, that what God spoke to Elijah was to go to Ahab and say, you know what? There's not gonna be any rain until I pray that there's going to be rain. And Ahab was like, okay. And what happened? It didn't rain. God honored Elijah's obedience, his heart of obedience, and what God did in that moment, while this famine was breaking out and people were dying, it was a catastrophe, God took Elijah and he brought him into a place of preparation and hiddenness. The Kirith Ravine, Emily referenced it earlier in worship, took him to this place of hiddenness. Why? Because God wanted to know, God wanted to know that he had the heart of Elijah, this obedience, which we talked about last week. If you missed that message, go online, catch up with us. Now, here's what God did. Although the brook had dried up, God continued to provide. He went to Zarephath and he, he took this widow and, and God provided through this widow. And then he provided for the widow by raising her son back to life. First resurrection that we ever see in the Bible. 
And so God was doing some miraculous things. Well, this is where we pick up the story because God is now forming the heart of Elijah. He's becoming the man of God who, who God needs in order to, to do the next thing. And if you thought last week was astounding, what happens this week is tremendous. If, if Elijah was in the valley last week, this week he is on the hill, hence the title of the series, Hills and Valleys. Because what Elijah learned was that no matter where he was or the circumstance or situation in life, the X factor, the distinguishing factor and feature of his life was that he was going to keep God front and center. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, he meets up with Ahab again. And when Ahab sees him, this is what Ahab says. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Can I just pause and say this? Be careful of how much credence and credibility you give to people and what they call you. Whether it's good or bad. Last week, if you remember, the widow said, certainly you are the man of God because what comes from your mouth is truth. Remember that? This week, Ahab says, you're the troubler of Israel. So which one is he? Just be careful of how people label you and what you, what, what you are named by people. Remember, your identity is hidden with God in Jesus Christ. Live into that identity. Live into what scripture says about you. Be careful, be careful. Whether you're in the hill or in the valley. So he says, you're the trouble of Israel. And uh, here's what Elijah says. He says, no, I'm not. He said, uh, listen, smarty pants, I have not made trouble for Israel. I mean, he didn't say smarty pants, but <laughs> I've not made trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now, here's what you need to know about Baal and Asherah. Baal was the, the god of fire. Asherah was sort of like uh, his wife. And so the promise that these false gods made is if you would worship us, our crops would be abundant. Our lives would be better. Our lives would be blessed because we live in this agrarian culture. And so we're the God of fire and, 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 and this is my wife. And so worship us. Well, Elijah opposes that and brings great, 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 great problems on those false gods by sending this famine and the rain just uh, not falling. And so here's what takes uh, place. Um, Ahab says, you know, you're on the run. And if we find you, we're going to kill you. Now, th there are a couple words that we learned in seminary and we studied and talk about. You, you might be familiar, might not be familiar with these words, but to understand this historically and what was happening in, in this pluralistic society, you need to understand these two terms. If you're taking notes, jot these down. The, the first is monotheism. Monotheism is the belief that there is one God. Everybody say one God. One God. Polytheism, on the other hand, is a belief that there are many gods. Say many gods. So the nation of Israel was a monotheistic nation in terms of there was the one true God, but the culture in which they lived was polytheistic. Lots of gods, like Baal and Asherah, the, the two chief gods. Now, 
we as Christians, as true Christ followers, we're monotheistic in belief. But the problem is this. While we might be monotheistic in belief, I know many Christians who are polytheistic in behavior. We serve a lot of false gods that vie for our attention and capture our heart. And what is the one thing that the enemy wants to do? To steal our heart and turn it away from the one true God. Now, we don't uh, worship uh, Baal and Asherah today. We, we worship things that are a lot more socially accepted. For example, well, we worship material possessions. Worship things like, hey, can I get that upgrade to my house or a second property or can I get the retirement or can I get the cottage or what about the car or what about this or maybe we worship our image if I look this way dress this way like man I'm going to worship me and my image or or maybe we we worship a, a hobby something like cooking or or some hunting or fishing or or there's so many different things that can that can vie for our attention we can even worship our children. You say, well, wait a second, Adam. how can we worship our... If there's anything that's erected and placed on the very position on the throne of our lives that is reserved for the one true God, that becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. We have to keep things in proper perspective. All of those things that I name are blessings and have their place in our lives, but they are never, ever called to take the place of God himself. He's our first passion and desire to know and to be with God. He has created us in his image so that we can fellowship with him and abide with him. And when we do that, everything else falls in its proper place. There's perspective and there's value and there's true wisdom in how we lead and order our lives. So let me ask you, what are your false gods? Do you have any? As you think through your life, are there anything... Is there anything or anyone that has really taken the position of the lordship of, of Jesus Christ? You know, I'm not very proud to admit this, but there has been season in my life where things have gotten onto the platform, the place of where God should have been. One of those things was ministry itself. Loving to do ministry so much that there was an unhealthy relationship with ministry, and in seasons of my life, it hurt my marriage and my family. I work too much. If I could just please my, my lead pastor, or if I could just accomplish this, and, and I justified it with all the right things. Well, this is for God. Well, my first calling was to know God and to care for and minister to my family. There's been some false gods in my life. What are your false gods? Can you name them? Can you identify them? And can you repent of them so that God can heal and regain your heart? So 
Elijah, back to the story, he goes on to the top of Mount Carmel. He's on a literal mountain. In 2017, I was there in Israel with a group of people from Pathways, and we saw that mountain, and I thought, oh my word, this is so amazing. I was like, Elijah was right there. I mean, maybe not right at that spot, but I mean, he was on the top of Mount Carmel. And he gets up and he gives this strong prophetic message. I I could kind of give it to you with one punchy statement. This is what he says to the nation of Israel. Now, now you got to understand this. Just put this in context. Like, first of all, he says to Ahab, I want you to bring up like all of your your prophets, bring everybody up. and, And this is what he says in front of the entire nation of Israel. He says, people, 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 it's time to quit wavering. The time is right now. Stop going between the gods of Baal and Asherah and the God of Israel. Stop wavering. Like be all in on God. Be all in on what he's about or be all in on your God. Uh, I try to kind of think about that prophetic message and how to conceptualize that in today's culture. And I think this is what Elijah would say. He would say to, to us, Pathways, quit wavering. If, you're, if your God is really about accumulating things and amassing wealth, then go for it. Then get it. Then really go after money. Get, get as much as you can. And if you have to steal and cheat a little bit, that's okay. But never be generous, and please, it would be ridiculous to tithe and give 10% to God's work through your local church. That's like crazy. You could tip God, but listen, your God really is accumulating wealth and amassing things, so go for it. Or maybe if your God, that small g, is your image, then you know what you need to do? Get to the gym three hours every single day. Go for it. No excuses. Some of you are looking at me, man, if I get to the gym three hours, once a year, I'm doing good. Three hours every day. If your image is you, then make sure you go for it. I mean, tan it, tweak it, pump it, tat it, lift it, puff it, curl it, twist it, buy it, do it, get it done. I feel like what Elijah is saying, quit wavering. If, if, you're, if you're about sexual pleasure, then go for it. Go, 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 go. But, but if you are for God, the one true God, then go for him. Be all in on him. Serve him, love him, give to him. Just let your life magnify his name. Let your pride die and let the image more of God and less of me. Start memorizing the prayers of scripture and saying, God, I wanna make you famous, not unto my name, but to your name be the glory and the honor and the power and the magic. Be all in for God. That's what I think Elijah would say. Adam, quit wavering. Pathways, quit, quit wavering. So in order to demonstrate this, Elijah has just a a good old-fashioned showdown, all right? Um, 
Good old-fashioned show. So I don't know what you want to bring up in your mind. Maybe some of you like Western movies, all right? So you know when they kind of step out of the saloons and you hear the, you hear the deals gone and it's like, it's a showdown. Maybe it's that. Or maybe you think like heavyweight boxing match, all right? Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson before Tyson bit his ear, okay? Like showdown, all right? Or maybe you think you have to, I don't know what your showdown is, all right? But they have this good old-fashioned showdown. This is what Elijah says to King Ahab. He says these words in verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said this, Help me out. Say this next question with me. Read it out loud, full voice. Here we go, Pathways. How long will you waver between two opinions? Not three opinions, not four opinions, two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then what? What's he say? Follow him. Go all in on Baal or go all in on God. Now, I don't have time to read this uh, cool story and the rest of chapter 18, but here's what takes place. Those 850 prophets uh, are up on the hill and Elijah says, you go first. And so they begin to call out to their God, to, to, to Baal and Asherah. And here's what the ironic thing was. They set up these uh, altars, had two bulls, and uh, Elijah said, whoever's God answers by fire first, that's the true God. What, what was the, 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 what was Baal? He was the God of what? Fire. And yet, from Bible says from morning to noon, they cried out and they were yelling. In fact, they began to dance. And then it got so bad that these false prophets cut themselves. Can you even imagine? They're cutting themselves. All, all the, the entire nation of Israel is around there. They're cutting themselves. And you know what Elijah's doing? Elijah's not in the corner kind of praying. He didn't dial up any other prophets. You know what, you know what Elijah's doing? Elijah's actually taunting them. Yeah, he's dropping bombs on him. He's like, hey, hey, is your God taking a nap? He can't hear you? Is your God in the porta potty? Is he busy? It literally, if you look at the Hebrew, it literally, he's relieving himself. That, I'm not making that up. I'm just giving you a rough translation of porta potty. That's what he says. Is your God in the porta potty? He can't hear you. He's not, isn't your God the God of fire? <laughs> like he can't even get a spark moving. You guys are chumps. He's like, you need some band-aids? I just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> He's taunting them. They do this from morning until noon. And then this is how confident Elijah is in his God. You know how confident he is? He says, uh, he says to the attendants, hey, hey, um, Marcus, Ryan, he said, how about you guys get some water and dump it on my altar? What? Yeah. Dump it, dump it once. Okay, go get some more. Dump it twice. 
Okay, douse it again the third time. Now listen, if I were with Elijah, I'd be like, bro, like you're getting borderline cocky right now. Like, what are you trying to do? What are we doing here? And then scripture says this, Elijah prays this two verse prayer. Listen, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped up in verse 36. He stepped forward and he prayed. This is how confident he was. Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me. Why? So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I love the beauty and the power of his prayer. God, reveal yourself. Show up. Answer by fire so that we know that Baal is not the God of fire, but you have all the power and make sure in the midst of this that your people will turn their hearts back to you. They used to believe in you, God, but then it got twisted. The truth got twisted. There was some division and there was some fear and there were some demonic schemes, but, but God, would you just set it right? And would you just regain the affection of their hearts? Would you bring them back to you? Would you just answer me. And this week, I've had so much passion for you and for us as a church family, for those of you online, that God would be calling some of you back to him, that some of the false gods that you've erected and you've placed on, on the throne of your heart, that, that you would pull those off and you would say, God, I want to follow you. You're the one true God. I'm done with this. I want you. I think this is what Elijah would say to us today. Follow God. He's the one true God, and I'll show you. He prays this prayer, and then the fire is just like, it licks up the, it, the water around the altar. Scripture says the entire altar itself is done, and all the people. Do you know what the people do? You know what Scripture says? They say nothing. They're like, whoa. Right? They say nothing. They say nothing. Now, as equally as important it is for us to have this word about serving the one true God, I was also inspired and felt like I needed to share with you about Elijah's confidence. I wanted to share with you his confidence in God. And as I wrap this up, I want to give you a couple points of application when it comes, because I believe that we can learn from Elijah's confidence, that he can pray this prayer, answer me, God, that he has this bold courage to stand on front of the entire mountaintop with, with all the nation of Israel and these 850 prophets before King Ahab and Jezebel. Like, can you even imagine? And he says, Let's have a showdown. Let's have a contest. Where does that confidence come from? Well, by way of application, let me make a couple statements. The first is this. Lessons in the valley give you the confidence for the miracles on the hills. What you learn in the valley in a season of preparation 
God wastes nothing in our lives. When you feel cut off, when you feel like things are drying up, God has something that he's teaching and he's showing you. If you're in a valley today, grow where you are. Grow in your hiddenness. Are you taking and are you jotting lessons down? Are you, are you kind of just meditating on what God is showing you? Because, because it's often the hidden things that no one sees that results in the visible things that everyone desires. The things that happen in your preparation and the hiddenness and the quietness, the, the valley that you went through made you stronger today. I know it. For some of you, I've watched you go through valleys. I've seen hard things happen to you and you faced those hard things with confidence because you knew God was there because you remember a valley that you had once before. Don't despise the valleys of your life. Don't pout and pray and always wanna get out of them. Learn to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Show me in this moment because I know there's a hill that's coming. That's just spiritual maturity. That's how we grow. Now, I think we grow so that when we get to the mountains and we have this confidence to declare that God is gonna do a miracle, I think we do that so that God knows that he has our hearts so that we wouldn't take credit for the miracle. I think he knows that he can trust us with a miracle because we're quick to say, I didn't do that, that was God. Because sometimes if you don't go through a valley or if you... If you, if you seemingly mature too fast, you get to a hill and something big happens, all of a sudden you get, that means a big head, cocky, right? And speaking of miracles, the second point of application is this. Miracles are often not a surprise for those who are truly confident in the Lord, uh, this miracle for Elijah was not a surprise. You know why? Because he saw the miracle that happened in the ravine. He saw God provide him with Chick-fil-A and a brook. And then when, when it kind of ran out or dried up, he saw God provide for him when he went to Zarephath and with the widow. And then he saw God increase his miracle working power when when. When Elijah went up into the upper room on top of the house of this widow and prayed over that boy and that boy came back to life. And Elijah knew his confidence grew in the Lord. He knew if God could do it on the top of that widow's house, he surely could do it on Mount Carmel in front of all those prophets in the nation of Israel. He was confident in the Lord. He just had a different level of confidence. Man, I want that kind of confidence, don't you? You with me? Oh, the third point of application is simply this. People who are confident in God have a higher level of expectation. They just, they do. They, they read God's word and they take God for his word, right? People uh, who have confidence in God, they have a higher level of expectation because they become comfortable with crazy obedience, what we think is, what we would look at and say is crazy obedience, they would say, that's normal obedience. Because they just, they get to a place in God where his voice and his voice alone is what drives their lives. 
And they're not really care, they don't, they're not so concerned about what other people think. And they just, they just want to go after God. They just have a different level of expectation. They think differently, they pray differently, they walk differently, they carry themselves differently. They're just different. They are. They really are. And I don't know about you, but but I want to grow in my confidence with God. And the way in which we grow is by remembering the lessons of the valley and it's by stepping up on the hilltop and making sure we make God's name famous. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that's in a significant relationship this week or in the weeks to come. I don't know if it's in your parenting strategies or in some areas of relationship. Maybe it's some inner work with the emotions and the trauma. And you have to step up in front of some things that you've dealt with in your past and you have to say, God, my confidence is in you. Bring healing here. Maybe it's forgiving yourself. Say, God, I I know I'm forgiven by you, but I have not forgiven. Would you help me? I'm confident in your forgiveness. Maybe it's taking a a step of boldness to reach out to a friend that you know that God has been placing on your heart. And you're just, God, I wanna be confident in your love and your power. Would you open a door and opportunity? I promise I'll I'll walk through. Maybe it's confidence to, to stand against the culture and the crowd in an area of your life. I don't know what it is. That you say, you know, I can't do that. I can't go there. I'm not gonna put that in my body. That's not me. Maybe it's confidence in, And saying, God, I'm really gonna trust you as I pray to you and be confident and be open to hear you speak to me. Let me close with this story when I was a kid. I remember the first time that this story really registered for me. I was uh, in fourth grade and our Sunday school teachers, Paul and Karen Hollis, um, taught this story. And uh, 1 Kings 18 is just an awesome chapter. I mean, it's like one of the big moments of the Old Testament. And I remember hearing this story and I thought to myself as a fourth grader, God, if you would just come down on fire and like burn something up, yeah, I would definitely know you're real. I can remember having this thought, you know, God, I'll, I'll build an altar. I'll take all my little Legos and my toys and I'll just make an altar. You burn it up. I'm all in for you. I thought about that this week. <laughs> Can you imagine if I built an altar in the backyard with all my toys and my parents would be like, boy, this kid is, oof. I thought about this this week though and um, I had this thought come across my mind. I felt like God said to me, you know, Adam, I did something more powerful than sending fire. I sent my one and only son, Jesus Christ. I sent my very presence so that you can know me. I didn't need to send fire because I sent flesh, flesh and blood that died for you so that you could follow me. And with every head bowed and every heart before the Lord, I want to invite you in these quiet moments I wanna speak to you on a couple things. Maybe you're here today and you've been serving some false gods and today you feel like God is turning your heart back to him. That's not condemnation, friends. That's conviction. That's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. That's God wanting your heart. 
So I would just, I plead with you to surrender and to give him your heart. Say, yeah. To say, God, would you give me the strength and the courage to take some of those idols, those false gods off the throne of my heart and have you back on. I don't want to be monotheistic in belief and polytheistic in behavior. God, forgive me. I repent. If that's you, pray a prayer like that. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. It's a healing moment for you. Pray it. Name your false God. Repent of it. God, you see my friends here today making those commitments. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you lead us? Forgive us. Give us the courage to follow you, to be all in on you. Now, maybe you're here today and for the first time you realize that God is really real. <laughs> maybe the first time in a long time you stepped into pathways, you're watching online. It's not by accident that you found us on YouTube. Not by accident somebody invited you here today and you're like, man, whew. God's presence is here. There's something different. Yeah, there's something different. It's the presence of God. His spirit is speaking to you deep within your heart, past your sin and shame. And he's saying, I want you to become one of my children. I want you to become a part of my family. I want to forgive you of your sin. I want to cleanse you. I want to come into your life. I want to change you, forgive you of your past and give you purpose here and now and to secure eternity with me but you've never made that decision or you've backslidden and you're in a place of, of just sin and you just need to repent. You need to invite Jesus Christ back in your heart to believe that he died and he rose again for you, that he loves you and that he's here for you today. If you're online and you wanna make that decision, you just type in, reach out, said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, call the church, Email us, DM us on social media. Let us know. We want to come alongside of you. If you're in the room, though, here today, and you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, if that's you today, would you just slip up your hand? I want to acknowledge that in this moment. We want to pray with you. If you would just slip up your hand. All the way in the back. Yes. Thank you. I want to wait for another moment. Anybody else? All right. Then let's say this prayer together from our hearts, from our mouths. Let's say this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being true and faithful, and the only God who showed up for me. You delivered on your promise by sending Jesus to be the sinless sacrifice for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I confess them to you. I was wrong. I'm sorry, forgive me. Now come into my life and give me a new heart. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. And everybody who 
believed and prayed this prayer said, amen. 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 Can we celebrate those individuals?